Blog Talk Radio. This is Port of Harlem Talk Radio, and I'm your host for this show and also publisher of Port of Harlem Magazine at portofharlem.net. You can call and listen by dialing on your phone at 516-531-9540. And if you want to ask a question, after you are connected, press 1 and please be in a quiet place. You can also visit portofharlem.net and click Port of Harlem Talk Radio from the menu to hear this and past episodes. We are also available on about seven podcast platforms. And lastly, We Talk Productions sponsors Port of Harlem Talk Radio. Our first guest is Cornell Chris Jenkins. Back in Port of Harlem's May 2003, to October 2003 print issue, Chris Jenkins penned uh, an article for us called Social Security, Financial Planning, and You. He has since retired from government service and taken things off his bucket list. One of those things on his bucket list was publishing children's books. Covenant Books just released his book. The first one is called If I Live Next Door to Heaven, and the second book it's called Naomi, the Raven, and Bullies at the Dance. Welcome, Chris. Hey, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. It seems like you have quite a, a, a significant fan club. We have a couple people lined up listening to the show, but the vast majority of people oh, of listen to the show afterwards. But so I'm looking forward to seeing our numbers grow. Amen. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so firstly, uh, we'll get right into the conversation. Uh, Firstly, tell us why writing children books and not some other uh, genre was on your bucket list. Well, I want to speak to the youth. I'm I'm 64, and I've I've lived more than I have ahead of me, and I want to leave something as a legacy of of my life and things I might have experienced that could maybe encourage the youth for years to come. So, I figured a good way. And I've always liked to write by poetry, and sometimes writing children's books in a poetic fashion keeps their attention a little longer. So I decided let me try this route and, and I've, I've enjoyed doing it so far. Okay. Yeah. I, I looked through both of the books and I know one was written in a more poetic fashion and one wasn't. So that was quite interesting because after reading your work back in 2003, I didn't know or I had no idea that you had an interest in writing a children's book or even poetry. So that was a pleasant surprise. Well, thank you. I, I enjoy doing it. It's, it's a great relaxation tool for me. Okay, so what is the main thrust of each book? Uh, let's start off with the first one, If I Live Next Door to Heaven. What is the main thrust of, thrust of that book? Well, I, I started thinking about this type of a topic because of all the events happening in our country for the past, uh, let's say, at least five or six years and how um, if we, will we actually act like we act or treat people like we treat people if by some happenstance we found out that right next door to us is heaven. You know, we tend to, a lot of us who profess Christianity, we can talk a good game sometimes, but when the rubber hits the road, we're faced with things, do we really know who we're talking to? And do we know uh, uh, the people that we're treating in certain ways, uh, there might be a connection to a higher higher power or a higher calling. So, I took it on as, as a challenge to what would it feel like if, how would I act and how would I live if I actually lived next door to heaven? I, I took that project on. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so is there, I shouldn't ask people, I shouldn't ask if there's a conclusion, but 
was it kind of difficult to tell the story without being preachy or without turning people off? Well, well, I hope it won't turn anybody off. And, and I've tried not to be preachy because the way I wrote it was just to stimulate one's thought process and to really think about how they live and what they do and what they say and how they look at their, not just their actual literal next door neighbor, but the people that you see in the comings and goings of, of life. You Again, you never know who you're talking to or you never know who you're impacting, but I wanted to just get it as a stimulator of thought for, for that type of a topic. Gotcha. So your neighborhood became a village. Right, right. So like, like the so world like, became a village. When, exactly. Mm-hmm, right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult to get people to understand, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's hard for us. As it's hard for me to understand. You know, we get caught up in our feelings and our anger and our prejudices, and we forget, you know, we're professing something that we shouldn't be this way. And so, therefore, it takes a lot to, to step back and look at yourself from 30,000 feet and see your impact on the world. It's, you know, there's no way to – you really can't one person only change the whole world, but your whole world may be that one person next door to you, and how do you impact that? So that's what I was trying to draw out of people by way of story. Got it. And I also wanted to add just the idea or get your thoughts on the idea that even though a person may be, say, in South Carolina, as you are, but that in many ways you are connected to someone in South Sudan. Right. Well, absolutely. Oh, my gracious, especially South Carolina. South Carolina's history is so rich in this country, and for many reasons, but a lot of things pass through here. A lot of things leave here, so you're right about that. We're all connected in some kind of way. Yeah, and I guess COVID is showing us that or reminding us of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, COVID has brought the, brought the truth out of all of us in many, many ways. This isolation and, you know, these fears have really cut us to the core in regards to showing who we really are as people in many ways. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing how well that book goes over with other people. The other book, uh, Naomi, The Raven and Bullies at the Dance. Now, what's the core story about? Well, the story's about a, a little girl who's basically haunted by voices from bullies and tragedies in her life. And what what what, what drew me to, to write that, you know, I, well, you don't know, I, I uh, my earlier part of my life, you know, I went to, 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 to schools that were pretty, pretty rough schools at times. And, and even when I talk to people today at my age, it's amazing how things that have impact, have, may, may have impact, impacted us 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago can affect you, you know, as an adult. And I want to try to dig into the root of those issues and how we should be processing them and trying to get beyond. But a lot of stuff with people and what has impacted them in the past, they, they never get over it. They, they never shake it. But um, I tried to write a story that would give a possible slant on how to shake those things or, or how to mold and shape those things to make you a better you. Okay. So it's back to bullying, and that's one of the subject matters that tend to get a lot of attention these days. But do you think that people are getting the message and that people are having less patience with people who are bullies? Well, I think that it's tough to make people love people. I think we talk a good game. Um, I think it's tough that sometimes folks get high off of feeling better than someone or something, and it's hard to shake that high, that addiction. And then there, that leaves a lot of people who are have to live with the manifestations of that impact on them for the rest of their life. So, 
I think human nature is, is hard to it's, it's really hard to be right in all situations. And when I say right, I mean righteous in all situations. And so it's a difficult game that's gone on way before I was born and will go on long after me. But as we keep on clamoring exactly. and calling attention to these things, I think, you know, because you can touch one person and change them, make them encouraged, grow beyond what they, they, they learn through childhood. You've done your job as a person, as, 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 a, as a resident of, on, on this planet. So I guess we can say your book is just one more piece of uh, good message in the mess. <laughs> Amen. I pray so, yes. <laughs> okay. So um, for, for people interested in getting more information about the book and you can't remember the title, uh, when you go to portofharlem.net and you click on Port of Harlem Talk Radio, you'll see his name right there and you'll see the article. And so that's where you can see the name of the book. And I think there's a link even to uh, the pages where you can read more about the books and even purchase the books. So don't sweat it if you can't remember the name of the book. Or you can always send us a message. But Chris, in our last um, six minutes, let's talk more about uh, using covenant books to publish your books. Specifically, and this is not a, an endorsement of covenant books or any other uh, publishing company, but specifically what did you have to do to present in terms of a product to them? And what services have they provided you to make this project work? Well, I found Covenant to be Covenant to be an awesome, open, and uh, ingratiating company. They're in South Carolina, Merle's Inlet, South Carolina, down on the coastline, and I was just hunting to try to figure out how how I could possibly publish something. And so I called them and uh, I, I sent them a piece of poetry, uh, and uh, they were very honest with me. It really didn't fit what what they wanted. They're a quote Christian-based organization. It didn't fit what they wanted, and even the poem, which was the If I Live Next Door to Heaven poem, they didn't see it the way I had written it as a, as a children's book. They just thought some of the words, some of the phraseology just wasn't children-ish enough. And so I went to a, a coffee house and just labored and rewrote the poem and sent it back to the, the, the company, and the lady that worked with me was elated. And what they do is they assign you a person to walk you through the whole process, the editing, the creation of art. They have art, artists there. If you can't provide your own artists, uh, they bind it. They, they, they send it out. They keep you keep a ledger of sales. And then they send you to other, they, they have access to other entities, all your books and all those type of things, which I would have never known how to do. So they've been so an excellent about, company. And what, and what, what, what do you mean by other entities? Oh, uh, well, like well, get, get, I didn't know these things until I started doing this. Um, there's another company, many companies, but they, they got me in touch with a company that does audio books. And, and the audio book company, they uh, have various voice actors, and they give you um, examples of voice actors reading your work. And you select the voice actor, and then the voice actor uh, reads, does a reading, and you correct intonation and phraseology and, and, and accents and, and, and various things you want to add or take away from the reading, and then they – they do that, and then they, they make that eventually, and that's, been, that's in the process uh, of being done for the book about Naomi. But, um, but you know, they, they put it out there for you, to, for people to be able to, to purchase and publish in here. But I know we talked a little bit beforehand. I thought it was intriguing that, um, that your book is now going to be audio, and I was thinking, so what do you have to do for that? And you were telling me that um, they just sent you some voices, like you just mentioned, for you to pick from. And I was wondering if they tried to even match your voice or match 
uh, you demographically, and you said that wasn't the case. No, not 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 in these books' case, and I didn't want it to be a uh, uh, ethnic-driven story because this these issues cover the whole spectrum of mankind. Um, in the future, I, I have ideas, and it may be more ethnic-oriented, but I, I didn't want somebody to say, "Oh, that's this," and and because some folks will turn off. In reality, some folks say, nah, that's not me or that's not talking to me, but without giving it a chance to talk to them. And so, therefore, the voice actors that they gave me, none, none of them had had some sort of a, oh, I know who that is kind of voice, but they so had they, a great way of delivering the message. So you got one of these TV Iowa voices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Kind of, kind of generic. Yeah. yeah, I don't know who you are. Who are you anyway? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's interesting because I always assume I always assume the opposite that uh, you know sometimes I guess on some audio books it's the author that reads I think I've never listened, really listened mm. to an audio book I think I only listened to one and uh, I think right. the author right. had done it but I also was impressed too yeah well, some some do yeah mm-hmm. okay and but, I was also impressed yeah, but, when you when you Google the book that uh, it was sold in various countries. And I suspect they must have something right. to do with that, as opposed to you having to look for these country companies in other countries. Right. Well, that's the that's the beauty of Covenant. The, they they get it. They have access to to the world in regards to getting your information and your work out there. They're very very good at that. Yeah, that's the thing I was impressed about too. Um, in talking to you, because the books look good, and oftentimes when people self-publish books, they don't often look as polished. And sometimes we get them from people to try to get them, they send us to us as a magazine to try to get get us to cover them. Or sometimes um, people call us for advice on some aspect of it. And I think people often get lost on how many people play a role oh, yeah. oh, in my getting gracious. a simple oh, yeah. out. Mm-hmm. So was it, did that amaze you? Yeah, that 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 is it, it is it's, it's a team. It is definitely a team effort. And I'm gonna tell you, these companies, these people have a lot of patience because some people are some authors are kind and some people are very very intense when it comes to their work. So they they do a great job. Okay, and how and how much did that amaze you? What how, do, how much would amaze? But their their, their patience. The, the, um, just having so many different players. Oh, oh, what what this is. Totally, because this is totally new to me, but now that I'm in it, I can understand that you want an expert that knows how to do printing. You know, want an expert who knows how to do color, who knows how to do art, who can give you advice on how to phrase things. Uh, you want experts to do your work for you, you know, okay. that, that you don't have an expert expertise in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, for instance, I was sort of, were you sort of surprised when you started seeing your book showing up in uh, – Say um, in a German book on a German book site, and, and I think maybe a Japanese book site. I'm not sure it's Japanese. But I think it was a German book site that I picked it up on. How, I was shocked. How surprised. <laughs> I was shocked. I was shocked. I was. Like I said, this is new to me. This is a bucket list thing, and it almost kind of made me kind of nervous because I was saying, "Oh, did I do the right thing? I was stepping out of some places I don't know about." So you know, that's that that's that insecurity with first timer. So, so and, you know, and, and I guess and, you want to keep that edge. Yeah. And what do you mean you thought if you did the right thing? And what well, the mean? right thing in that is, 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 is my story written in a way that would be palatable by people that I've never met. I don't even know their culture. 
you know, right. and, and so you know, as as a first time author, <laughs> excuse me, I'm I'm learning because you you know everything doesn't go over the same way in different places in the world, and so okay. uh, I just you know just had those those crazy thoughts, those those b- b- bully thoughts in my brain that was messing with me a little bit. Okay, so as we end this conversation up and go to our next guest, uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, write for us many moons ago. And thanks for the pleasant surprise that there's more to you than what I saw. <laughs> and, and amen. It that, amen. <laughs> it was good to know that you've had such, such, uh, such a growing experience at such a mature age. Amen. Thank you for being, thank you for the mature age statement. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> All right there. Amen, man. All right. All right. So take thank you. All right there. All right. Take so. Take care. Go ahead. All right. Take care. So we're going to take a short break here, and uh, we're going to uh, speak to our next guest. Oh, hi, Wayne. Okay, welcome back to welcome back to uh, Port of Harlem. Ken, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. So Hello. Let me can introduce you? you yes, I can hear you fine. Let me introduce you first. So okay. Welcome great. To so welcome back to Port of Harlem Talk Radio. Uh, Ken Wira is an artist, and he's our next guest. And we first covered him years ago. We covered uh, an artistic wooden bench he created. It was a wonderful bench with these two heads as if they were sitting on the bench, or but they were actually part of the bench. And today we cover his taking his, his art to a higher seat, if you will, by having one of his images on his own shoe brand. Welcome, Ken. Oh, hi, Wayne. Thank you for uh, inviting me to your show. Okay, great. So, you know, many years ago, maybe a decade or so, you know, as I mentioned a second ago, I admire your wooden bench with heads. The one thing I see in common between your bench, okay, the one thing I see in common between that bench and your new slip-on gym shoe with your woman is key art piece is that they are artistic, but usable in everyday life. Is that one of your objectives when you create art? Definitely. And we did meet earlier than that. I was at Eastern Market with some of my art and T-shirts, and uh, you you bought a couple of T-shirts right away. But, okay. Uh, to answer your question, yeah, before you, you even wrote about the bench, yes, my, my intention is to um, put my ideas in the artistic form so that I'm inviting the the viewer onto another angle for understanding, not just listening, but also looking at it and um, being appealing to the eye. And I believe that um, someone gets across uh, in another angle, especially when the topic might be something that people just don't want to talk about or, you know, they have their own set views about it. Okay. Yeah. And for those who are out of the DMV, the District uh, Maryland Virginia area, Eastern Market is uh, this the market who are going by food, uh, clothing, jewelry, et cetera, on the Capitol Hill area. And, and, and frankly, that's been so long, long ago, I don't really remember it, but I do remember the bench. The bench <laughs> just stood out in my head. I'm like, I wish I had room for that, and I wish I could afford it. <laughs> you know, maybe I should have just bought it and just made room for it. But nevertheless, uh, you've done other art pieces since then, and one of them is called "A uh, Woman Is Key." It's a sculpture too. Yes. I believe it's made out of made out of wood. Made out of wood, yes. That was okay, many years been, ago as well. 
Okay, but eventually began placing it on wearables, including the slip-on gym shoe. How did you come about yeah. your women as key sculpture? Well, I had an idea to come up with a, a, an art piece, I guess, like any other artist wants to decide what's my next piece. And the first thing that came to mind was woman. It wasn't woman mm-hmm. is key or anything like that, just woman. And I started drawing it out, you know, drawing straight lines and circles, everything in order. The eye aligns with the nose and stuff like that. And I put it onto uh, wood because, you know, wood was very available in Ghana where I come from. And I hung it on the wall. I took it to a gallery down the street. And the, the gallery owner said, yeah, she loves it. It looks like a key. So she put it on the wall. But after some time, you know, it took a while, but after some time I started asking myself, you know, am I just admiring the art on the wall? Am I looking at human beings from a safe perspective? I'm not interacting with the piece because it's named after a woman. Am I not interacting with women? So that's when I started putting it on other forms and other platforms that may be enjoyed. Okay. And you said you work with yeah. wood because wood is very common or very available in Ghana. Yes. So yes. when you came from Ghana to the U.S., how difficult was it mm-hmm. for you to find the wood you wanted or did you have to change what type of wood you would work with because it wasn't available here or because it was maybe too expensive or anything of that nature? Yeah, it was a little bit more expensive, but everything is available here. You know, you can import um, exotic hardwoods, that's what they call them, from South America, Africa. There were a couple of um, marketplaces that I could buy the wood from. But my mind was also on uh, trying to make more pieces out of it, more and for uh, more people to enjoy it. So that's why I put it on wearables and now onto sneakers. Gotcha. But going back to the mm-hmm. wood, though, I'd love to talk about the transition for a second. And that is that right. uh, when you when you was in Ghana, you was able to find these woods that you wanted for relatively uh, good prices. Easy, right? Good so price, right, here, right? Because <laughs> so when you came here, were you able to find, did you were you able to find the same good prices, or did you have to change and get different types of woods? Well, the only change that I did was to get American wood, which okay. is walnut and cherry, but they have the same almost the same hardness as most of the African woods. Okay. So in that sense, it became a little bit cheaper if I could use American hardwood rather than the African hardwood. So I did try uh, actually a bench in um, walnut. I tried mm-hmm. a bench in walnut, and I've, I made a bench in cherry wood also. Okay. So that was available so, for me, yeah. Okay. So there was a slight transition, but the transition was just uh, in the same family of woods, but just a different um, member of the family. Right, and the economics of it, of course, because, you know, it's grown here in the U.S., so it's more available. Right. Yeah. Yes. I think that's one of the things that people don't think about uh, when people do artwork, that it's still a business, and you still have to consider that your product has inputs, and those those inputs have values and costs. (laughs) Right. Right, right. And sometimes you can't change the price of the input because, you know, that's the price of the wood and that's what it's going for at the time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So from Mm -hmm. from an earlier conversation about the shoe in particular, I know the Italian manufacturer of the shoe provided the shoe platform. And you chose the custom materials, 
the colors, mm-hmm. and the branding. So let's talk about the specific yes. choices you made. So when it comes to custom custom materials, what choices of materials did you have, and what material did you choose to use to um, produce this shoe? Well, they, they have a range, you know, the Italian leather, and um, the slip-on shoe is actually, um, I'm not 100% sure what the name is, but it's neoprene. It's a type of uh, fabric that um, you wear for underwater um, scuba diving and stuff like that. So that's the fabric for the slip-on shoe. And then there's the Italian leather. And with the Italian leather, you can, you know, extend it the other side and it becomes suede. So the, the kind of, it looks nice anyway, but the rough part of the leather is the suede part, and then the smooth part is what we, uh, we usually know as uh, leather. And then they have other fabrics too. So even though it's custom, I have a range that I can pick from. So I pick from that and put the colors together, just seeing how in line with my thought process that I want to make it not just telling you about woman or woman is key, woman is important, but I want to be appeal to your eyes and your senses and draw you in like a work of art, and then we can talk about the um, the social impact of it. So what, what material did you choose? Oh, oh Italian leather, and I have this... Um, the fabric that they use for scuba diving, uh, I believe it's called neoprene or something like that. It stretches, it's waterproof. And, um, of course, there's rubber on the sole and things like that, yes. So three basic materials that I use. Okay, and how about colors? You had a choice of colors. And I think you chose black, red, and green. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, in this one. I have another shoe that has yellow in it and um, fuchsia green and things like that. Then there was another one that is pink and blue, and also fuchsia uh, pink. So depending on the shoe, blended the different colors, trying to create um, an appealing color. You did notice that the colors are the same as Port of, Har- Port of Harlem? Of course. That's why I could even go and explain what black, red, and green. <laughs> I'm thinking if, if our readers don't know what the black, red, and green stand for, I don't know what else to say. But we all know black, red, and green are the colors of Pan-Afri- Pan-Africanism, whether it's in Gary, Indiana, or in, in right, Gabu. Right, It's the same. <laughs> I wish Marcus Garvey was here to see the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, online I only see the black, red, and green shoe. So are the other shoes online as well? Yeah, on the website, yes. But on my Instagram, you know, each day is a different color. Each day is a different uh, idea and I'm sharing different things. But uh, I'm going to put all three together and so that people can see the range. Yeah, that's said earlier when we had the first guest on. If people can't remember your name or uh, that they're looking for a shoe, they can always come to portofharlem.net and click on Port of Harlem Talk Radio, and they will see your name. Oh, okay, good. Guerra, and they will see uh, the shoe and the link to your page and the link to the shoe. And so they don't have to remember all those things. They can just go to portofharlem.net and find you. Okay. And of course, they still can mm-hmm. find you. They can just send us an email, and we will tell them where to All find right. you. <laughs> yeah. So the last and the last part is branding. So, what choices did you have for branding, and which did you choose? Well, branding will be your personal branding. Well, in my case, it's my personal branding. This is what I want to share with the world that women are important. But yeah, so yeah brand, but I'm using a. So, I'm sorry. So your. So your branding is the uh, women is key sculpture. Yes, 
but in a graphic form, so it's very clear to see. And then and I, kind of, when I pick the and what, and what kind of form, please? In, in a in a graphic image. So it's not it's not a gotcha. piece of wood that is on the on the shoe. Is the image of the sculpture that I did years ago, and then is the image that I put on on the shoe. Okay, I'm glad you clarified that. But go ahead. Yes. Yeah. So so that's the and the branding part. Then after choosing the colors, and I'm thinking these colors go good in this particular arrangement, having the red at the back and the green shoelaces, then I copyright that arrangement so that only women in ski brand can have it in that arrangement because the shoe itself um, is like making cars, I guess. Every, all the cars got four wheels and an engine and stuff like that. But the branding, then you have the, a bit of the style and the color and then the shape that comes into the branding. So I have that also in the shoe that the way the color is arranged is um, peculiar to woman is key. So you copyrighted the arrangement along with the sculpture. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I know you could do, I didn't know you could even do that. Yeah. You can, uh, uh, well, the sculpture will be like copyright because I'm the artist who made it. And then the, the words also with that sculpture, I got a trademark on it. Mm-hmm. No, I meant the color. Yeah, arrangement. So they were, no, I meant the color arrangement. I didn't know you could. Oh, okay, that. yeah, the color arrangement. I can, yes, I can uh, copyright the arrangement. You can rearrange it in a different color, and say, oh, it's another brand, you know. Oh. Yes, but okay. this, this particular color arrangement, yeah, is peculiar to woman is key only. On well, the last five seconds, I want to thank you for. Mm-hmm. Um, sharing how an artist like yourself has taken yes. your dream to the next step. And it's quite evident you've learned to do a lot more than just carve. It seems like you learned a lot of business practices, including copywriting along the way. And that's a good inspiration for a lot of other artists too, who are looking to expand themselves. So I appreciate your time. Oh, I appreciate you inviting me. As a matter of fact, I met you at the library of Congress. There was a little, um, there was some information coming out about trademarking and copyright, and you were right there, you know, getting information also to share with your listeners. So I also appreciate your right on the money. <laughs> well, you know, obviously your memory is much better than mine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I'm only slightly embarrassed. <laughs> but I hope that our listeners remember to like us on Facebook and subscription mm-hmm. to the magazine are still free at portofharlem.net. So thanks, Ken, and I want to say good night. You're very welcome. All right. Take care. Good night. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye.